Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Thanks very much, Andy, for joining us today. No now, obviously, a year ago, more than a year ago today, you received 238,000 votes. Your opponent got 234,000 votes. So it was a narrow victory. Um, what we're trying to do today is, is just see, from the point of view of the people of Birmingham, what, how they think you've done, and also what more you can do in the rest of your term. Crucially, it's all about them. It's all about their priorities and whether they match your priorities. So without further ado, can I start on the most topical thing of all? Lots of people raise Brexit in lots of our HuffPost listing mm. posts this week for good and for ill. Yeah. Um, now, today's news, Jaguar Land Rover, big news. They're warning that they could close factories in the UK if there's a bad Brexit deal. Uh, you've got Castle Bromwich, obviously, which produces Jaguar nearby. You've got Solihull with its Land Rover plant. It's a huge, huge issue locally. Should the government be taking these serious, seriously, these warnings from Jaguar Land Rover? So I'll try to answer all your questions straightforwardly. So the one word answer to this, Paul, is yes, they should. I mean, this has been a critical success story to the West Midlands, the revival of uh, Jaguar Land Rover over the last, uh, well, decade, really. Uh, and it is definitely at risk if the right conclusion is not drawn. And it's been really clear what I mean by that. I don't mean that immediately uh, we will see, as was once the case, the future of those two plants in question. But there are definitely decisions that the board of Jaguar Land Rover are waiting to take uh, that will affect future investment in those plants. And the particular thing and of course this comes to a theme, is about investment in electric vehicle production. I know the board of Tartar have a decision to take about where that is going to happen. So the nature of the Brexit deal that we get will affect that. And I hope people would say, I've tried to be uh, vocal on that, shout up for what I think is the interest of the West Midlands with, dare I say it, with Sky while we're here with you, and indeed in the Times, to try to say to government, this really matters for the future of the West Midlands. And what happens if you, they don't get the right Brexit deal? What are the consequences? What have you been told by Jaguar Land Rover well, yourself? Um, so I'm actually with the CEO of Jaguar Land Rover tomorrow, yeah. uh, with the leader of Solihull Hill Council, and it, uh, so we'll be updating that. But what, uh, what we have been told is investment that could come here will not come here. And whilst the car industry is changing so fast... Uh, that would mean over time there would be less jobs. It's very straightforward. And it's not just about Jaguar Land Rover itself. It's about the whole supply chain that that brings about. So just this morning, we had in Bartley Green a roundtable with lots of their suppliers, and they were all saying the same thing. Let me give you another specific example, though. The whole question about diesel uh, vehicles and what the government says about Diesel, really important. The majority of Jaguar Land Rover cars at the moment are diesel. They will move to hybrid and then to electric. But we've got to be sensible in giving them the time to do that. And you know, modern diesel cars are clean. The problem is it's the old diesel cars that we have to get off the street. 
I was going to say, what is your message then to cabinet ministers? You've met cabinet ministers today. Mm. You've just come from meeting Liz Truss, the Chief Secretary of the Treasury. You're going to see Brandon Lewis next, yeah. I understand. What message are you giving to them? Are you giving them a blunt message? Look, if you get this wrong on Brexit, jobs in my local area will suffer. Uh, I can also answer that with one word, yes. That is exactly what the article in The Times said. It is exactly what the Sky Journalist said when we did the interview in Coventry. So to the point of the Mayor's role, it is to be someone who can speak up for the region and say very directly to Cabinet Ministers, this is what matters. And I do think that is exactly what I'm doing. Just one more thing on it. I hope people will think this is fair. We've had quite a lot of Cabinet Ministers come recently, the Prime Minister, the Chancellor, and we always take the opportunity to show them what is happening in our economy so they're really aware of what's at stake. No, some people might argue, actually, people who voted for Brexit, um, that they agree with people like Owen Paterson, who said this morning, actually leaving the EU single market and the customs union is a wonderful opportunity. What do you say to people like that? Uh, I would say that we are... This is not a question of are we leaving the EU or not. We are leaving the EU. This is about the deal that is negotiated as we leave. So we're not going back on the will of the British people, as people say. But I do not believe that when the referendum occurred, people had in mind exactly what the form of the customs union was that they wanted. I think even people who voted leave want us to get the best way of leaving to protect and grow jobs in the West Midlands. And more broadly, as a former businessman yourself, um, which approach do you prefer? Do you prefer... Greg Clark, the business secretary, who says that business, when it talks about Brexit, should be listened to with respect. Or do you take the Boris Johnson approach? Oh, you rogue. Who says, what a naughty question. Who says, I, F you business. Rogue. Well, it's very straightforward, that. Uh, I think Greg's view on this is spot on right. Uh, business uh, actually is what generates the wealth that we all think then about how we share. It's why there's been more jobs created here. So I think it is absolutely necessary that the government hears what really matters to business. And, you know, I think also business has to speak up. When I was CEO of Johnnys, we always tried to do that. So, yeah, I think it's absolutely right. They should speak up and they should be listened to. It doesn't mean they should always be deferred to, but they must be considered. Now, do you want to explain a little bit about what these companies mean when they say they want the right sort of Brexit? I mean, what <laughs> okay. does it mean? All right, let's be. Uh, just, just let's to try to make it really straightforward. Let's go to the. Um, uh, let's go to the assembly line in Solihull. For, uh, uh, for Land Rover in that case, not Jagger. And uh, by the side of the line, to run it efficiently, to compete with car manufacturers in Germany and the States, uh, they are running just-in-time production. So they've not got lots of warehouses full of stock. They've just got one or two components, maybe a few more than one or two, that are for a particular vehicle. It is likely that that component has been sourced in Europe has come over here. It's probably likely that this, the original material started off in the UK, went to Europe for some processing back here. So actually, you can go back and forth. If we pay tariffs on each back and forth, we will not be able to afford that component. And that's the cost piece. And equally, if there is a delay in getting the product into the UK because of the new customs arrangements, then you can't run that just-in-time supply chain. So it's how modern manufacturing has changed. And that is going on in this city, in this region, day after day. 
Okay, well, can we move on to another bit of Brexit? Um, and this is really important for, for some of the people that we've talked to. Immigration. Yep. Um, the West Midlands had the highest leave vote, as you'll be aware, of any UK region in the 2016 referendum. I am referendum. aware of that. 59.3% yeah. yes. wanted to leave the EU. Yes. Some of those voters, not all of them, but some of them wanted action on immigration. Yes. Now, we've got one chap, Daniel Barker, who's up here. He said, the only thing we wanted was to stop immigration and they haven't mentioned it since Brexit. What's your answer to someone like Daniel? What should the government be doing about immigration? Uh, so, I actually agree that it's been surprisingly quiet in the debate. Um, uh, but it's very clear. The government has got to bring forward an independent immigration policy. We will be able to have that when we are not members of the EU. And we need to hear more about that, to be honest, in terms of what I think it has got to compose of. Uh, I'm sure there'll be a question somewhere about skills and training and shortages of key people in industries. And we've actually got to find a way in which people with the skills that we need are able to come into the country, but that the free movement for everybody will stop. That is exactly what Canada does, it's exactly what Australia does, it's down to us to define that. And I honestly think that will meet the overall objective that people were concerned about whilst still driving our economic success. And what do you say to those people who say we, we've relied too long, the retailers in particular, as you know, have relied too long on EU migrant labour and they've not put enough investment into upskilling British yeah. labour. What's your answer to that? I mean, you, hotels and business, um, businesses in the centre of Birmingham, lots of EU migrants are, are running jobs. Um, should those be done by Brits and, and what's being done to skill them? Okay, uh, so I think it's actually been a good thing that uh, people have been able to travel for those job experiences. That's been so for many, many years. So please don't take me as someone who thinks... That's not all very positive. One of the whole stories of Birmingham over the years is how people have come, integrated, da, da. However, to the nub of your question, uh, yes, more does have to be done to upskill our population, particularly with the new technical skills. I don't actually think retail is the best sector to talk about here. I actually think the best sector would be some things around engineering, those new economies, where actually if you go to those plants we've just been talking about, a lot of the people are from European countries and they are well-qualified people. We need to do more about that and I'm very confident the government will work with the West Midlands to do exactly that. Right. Um, that brings me on to retail more generally. Now, obviously, more generally. as everyone oh, knows, oh, yes, yes okay. as everyone knows, you know, Andy's famous for having been the managing director of, of John Lewis. Now, we're sitting here in this magnificent bullring building. Yep. Um, it's a real success story. Yes, Lots of retail and, and, and new build. Um, there's a huge new John Lewis, as you're more than aware. There's Harvey Nichols, Selfridges. But the high street itself is really suffering as a whole. Um, and the rise of online shopping and other factors mean that there's going to be lots and lots of wipeout of store chains. A new report yesterday said 70,000 retail jobs will be lost this year alone. That's a huge number of jobs. And there'll be 100,000 empty shops over the next decade, that this report claimed. Now, do you agree with those who say there's just too much retail space? in city centres and we should redesign them to as, as more sort of community hubs or do you think actually struggling high streets still have a chance of surviving? Okay so you put it as two firm choices and actually it's a wee bit more complicated than that so let me try to explain. Um, first thing to say about this job situation is that you quoted the number of traditional retail jobs. Let's be really clear as technology changes 
lots of new jobs are being created in retail as well. Just a few weeks ago, we had the announcement in the West Midlands of two and a half thousand new jobs from Amazon. So might not, might not be traditional retail, but it's still retail. And I am very clear that we can't sort of just do the King Canute and stop the technological change. That is happening and the nature of jobs are changing in retail. But the problem you're talking about is not just a retail problem, it's a town and city centre problem. And so we've got to think about it as a much wider issue, because again, we're never going to have the situation where town centres can be sustained just by retail. So the report that I think you're referring to yesterday was Bill Grimsey's report. I helped him launch it here in Birmingham. Great, it was done here. And what it basically said is we've got to think again about what the purpose of the town centre is in the next 10 years. And we've got to embrace changes, not just resist them. Some retail will still be there, by the way. There'll be a lot more in the big city centres than the suburban places. Centre like Birmingham City Centre, everyone wants to come in and have the retail experience. Brilliant. It's one of the most resilient places. But we've got to think of the new things as well. So yes, it has got to be about community hubs. Yes, it has got to be about startup spaces for entrepreneurs. All young people want to work in the city centre. It's where it's all at. It's cool. It's probably got to be where public services are delivered. So why haven't we got more of the health services coming to where this customer flows? And of course, there's got to be uh, much more leisure and entertainment because that's how people are spending their money. So this might surprise you. I'm quite an optimist about this. If we really think about how we repurpose our town centres. And, you know, that's okay because that's what people want to do in these spaces going future. By the way, one other thing, more people want to live in the town centre as well. Just look at what's gone on in Birmingham. Yeah. Have you got any innovative ideas or or pilot schemes in the pipeline on how you can help personally use your retail experience to help local areas? Well, I hope what we've already done in terms of journalists coming, it does actually act as a catalyst, but that's not what you mean by the question. So the reason I wanted to launch the Grimsey piece yesterday, uh, we haven't actually come clean on this yet, but I'm hoping in the West Midlands we will be able to become something of an uh, exemplar for what they are talking about. So, yes, we will step into that. Um, and the, the sort of co-working startup space piece needs to be a critical part of that. And can you help struggling high streets? Are you going to have some pilot projects where you're going to do things? We may. You're trying to draw it out of me prematurely. We may, Paul. You may. Uh, (laughs) So the West Midlands will be pioneers in that. Uh, The West Midlands are always pioneers. So, uh, yeah. Well, it'll be a sort of... We've got to think about it. But do bear in mind, as in so many things, I can't do this on my own. We need the local authorities to be on board. We need private landlords to be on board. We need the transport companies to be on board. We need the startup uh, incubator spaces to be on board. We need the health service. I hope we will be able to bring that together in a meaningful way in some locations in the West Midlands. Ah, right. A sort of Mary Queen of Shops. No, much more than that, because if I'm allowed to be controversial, what they were doing was thinking about it solely from a retail point of view. That will not answer the question. Right. Yours is more holistic, as it? Needs to be. Everything else. And that's what the Grimsey report said yesterday. Right. Um, Just, you mentioned Amazon jobs there. Um, What do you say to those who say those are sort of not really as as high quality a job as, say, working in the centre of Selfridges or Harvey Nichols here. Uh, what do you say to those? I mean, in terms of working conditions, I, Amazon has faced a lot uh, of criticism right. about okay. that. There is definitely an issue around uh, working conditions. Of course, the National Minimum Wage tries to uh, address some of that to some extent. But I think it's actually a gross simplification, that around Amazon. 
actually, if you look at what they are investing in technology and the IT that goes behind that, there are some, and this doesn't just apply to Amazon, applies to all of the sort of logistics companies, retail fulfillment companies, the sort of online marketing that goes with that. They are really good quality, cutting edge jobs. And actually, Britain is very good at that e-retailing stuff. So there are some very good quality jobs there. Right. Um, homelessness, let's, uh, yeah. slight gear change, but let's move on to that because lots and lots of people have raised it not when, we, when we've talked yeah. to them. Yeah. Um, and I know you've made it one of your priorities. Yeah. Um, now, we've got various views we've had during this week. Jusra Omar, who's, who's quoted here, said, when I was a kid, you'd see very few homeless people. Now they're everywhere. I've read that women avoid homelessness at all costs because it's so hard. But now you see lots of homeless women. So something's going wrong. Do you sort of share a sense of shame that politicians should feel ashamed that homelessness is, has been on the rise in recent years? Um, that's an easy question. Yes. I do. I think the, the um, very striking thing in the election campaign we had here, and I suspect if you were having this conversation in Manchester with Andy Burnham, he would say exactly the same. The very striking thing was that during the campaign, of all the issues that there were, the thing that really seemed to get to people here was that this can't be right. And I agree with that, actually. Uh, and that's why we have tried, and we'll no doubt talk about how successful we've been, we have tried to make this an issue of focus. So the straight answer to the question is, yes, I do think it is wrong and it is something that politicians and indeed other sort of leaders need to face into. And what are you doing about it? I mean, are you, do you think you've done enough? I mean, how do you compare you, with other cities? Uh, you can never do enough, uh, to be really straightforward about it. Um, I almost don't want to say this because people will say statistics damn lies but and it sounds very mechanistic answer to this to a really human problem but if you ask us to compare with other cities although when we walk out of here we will see things that are appalling actually the situation in Birmingham is not as bad as other cities so I just give you the numbers even though I'd be the first to say the numbers are wrong uh, but actually every year this is measured across every city in the country and across the West Midlands the number of rough sleepers because when your question is about homelessness I think yeah. really what you're yeah. talking about is rough, rough sleeping. sleepers uh, the number went down very slightly no room for complacency or satisfaction but it did against the national increase of 17% and many big cities it going up much faster than that and a lot of credit needs to go to the city council for that their street intervention team, which was funded by new trailblazer money that did come from the government, but the city council have used it well. They have people intervening with potential rough sleepers every night on the streets in Birmingham now, and that has made a difference. I think it's also true to say that some of our services here are particularly good. St Basil's uh, run the youth uh, rough sleeping service, and I know the person who runs it says that it is extremely poor that we had literally one young person measured in that survey. The previous year was naught. So actually, the relative position between Birmingham and elsewhere is reasonably good. Having said that, any number is not an acceptable number. And to be entirely honest with you, the number in total has still gone up very markedly since 2010. What are we doing? The most important thing, and I'm very pleased that we have won this, is we have got agreement from the government to fund a new service that is called Housing First, that is currently just being the detail of it being designed. 
It's about £10 million for the West Midlands of new money, and it will provide 225 permanent locations for rough sleepers, when the count number was 141. And that will be in place for this autumn. Right. Okay. And more widely about housing and the housing crisis, it's not just about street homelessness, as as you're aware. Um, Now, one Birmingham resident told us they're worried that HS2 might make things even worse with lots of people coming in and putting up the house price even more. Um, But that's just one view. What's your view about the longer term need to build more homes? Now, obviously, you're committed to building more homes, but how fast can you you actually get on with it? I think this is, dare I say, a really important question because for young people, there's nothing more important than the question of, can I afford to go into my home, whatever? And people have different descriptions of the word afford, of course, whether they're buying it, whether they're renting it, whatever. So it's a really important issue. But ultimately, it comes down to, have we got enough different types of accommodation? So just to give you the numbers, um, we're committed... uh, across the combined authority areas, that's Birmingham and the other six councils, to build 215,000 homes by 2031. That is roughly uh, 18,000 a year. We were running at a rate of about 7,000 a year, uh, just, uh, get this right, Street, just six years ago. Every year, we have increased that number, and the year we've just finished, 2017, saw a record number of housing starts in the combined authority area, about 12,500. So as you can see, We've still got some way to go to that number, but my goodness, we are accelerating. And probably one of the things I am really pleased we've managed to achieve this year, the, all the authorities coming together, um, uh, not just the seven, the areas around us, Bromsgrove, Litchfield, uh, Cannock, have actually managed to put the case to central government to say, give us more cash so we can uh, reclaim brownfield land to make Brownfield and I use derelict land to make it available for house building. That money is now being spent, houses are being started, and we are accelerating that number. And bluntly put, no other area of the country has got that sort of money to do that. So I do genuinely think the combined authority has lent into this and is making a difference to a critical issue. And do you think one of the reasons that the West Midlands has got that money is because you're a Conservative mayor rather than a Labour mayor? Uh, no, I don't actually. Uh, I think, again, being very straightforward with you, I think it helps that I know the government ministers. And I mean, this might seem an inappropriate thing to say, but to get this money, Philip Hammond rang me up and went through literally the details of it. He lived up to his spreadsheet fill name, said, you know, page seven, assumption number five, what's that number all about? So it helps in that sense. But that would not have been any good if all of the authorities and the majority of the combined authority authorities are Labour authorities, had not been working together on this. I could not have had that conversation right. with the Chancellor if we were not all working together on it. So it's actually about teamwork, and that's what the combined authority does. And are you spreadsheet Andy? Do you go through all those numbers yourself? Yes. I mean, is that what you used to do when you, yes. you ran things? Yes. Successful business people need to know their numbers. And I actually believe that if we're going to get these housing numbers up, I should be onto that. Right, the 700 homes in that borough, why is that not happening? Why is that site not coming forward? You yep. have got to be slightly obsessed because those homes are needed for young people here. 
So do you envisage yourself slightly micromanaging that to make sure it's delivered? Uh, what are the blockages? The blockages often that no one's driving. They it, can, so let me be clear. We have a director whose job it is to do it, and I've not got me doing his job, but he needs to know, yeah, I'm interested in that number. Uh, you know, are we hitting that increasing number? I've given you it very clearly. We know what we've got to do. And do you know what? In government and politics, I think it's good that you know what number you've got to get to. We could have a bit more of that in government, frankly. Um, uh, what are the blockages? All sorts of things. Uh, they can be planning issue. They can be, we haven't sorted out the remediation funds. They can be a diversion of a service. They can be the funding package hasn't come through. It can be 101 different things. The point of our officials is that they have got to unblock it. All right, get you. Now, what does need unblocking, it seems, is um, from local people's viewpoint, um, is the sense that a lot of them can't travel in safety at night in, in and around uh, Birmingham. One of the big issues we've got that has come out of uh, this week is that our own YouGov HuffPost poll found that 46% of people feel less safe walking down their local street now than a year ago. Um, we've got Matt here uh, who says police cuts and a rise in violent crime may be linked. It's like the African proverb, the child who is not embraced by the village will burn it down and feel its warmth. Now, I know policing isn't your responsibility, but it is the responsibility of London and Manchester mayors. Yes. Um, um, one day you may well have those powers. If you yeah. have those powers, how, how would you approach this whole issue? Um, OK. And how quickly do you want those powers? That latter question is straightforward. Uh, the proposal, uh, it's all got to be agreed, and there's going to be public consultation, by the way, uh, is that it would be from 2020, so from the next election. So I was elected till 2020, so was the Police and Crime Commissioner. So the new election will be for one person, probably, to have both powers. So right. it's quite straightforward, quite democratic. Uh, and so that's pretty quick, really. OK, so I think there are um, three parts of the answer. Uh, the first actually is about funding for the police. And I actually agree that there is not sufficient funding for the West Midlands Police. I'm not saying that new today. I said that to the government minister end of last year when we were discussing, when the summons were set for everywhere. The fact is that the cuts, there probably was an opportunity for reductions when this started in 2010. And even I think the chief constable would probably acknowledge that himself. He has to me. Well, he has publicly, actually. But if you look now at what is required of the force against uh, the funding, I want to put my voice in to increase that. And if I was elected in that combined role, when it would be my responsibility, that is the first part of it. And what's the response from ministers when you say that to them? The response from ministers is actually, they, and this is true, actually, the force has had an increase in funding this year. That is right. So that is where they go but you've actually got to look at the increase in demand on the force at the same time. So I think it's actually quite a complex argument still to move through. But the first thing is that. The second thing is actually this whole question about how we deal with the prevention issues. And actually, I think there is enormous scope there. So I do think if we can improve the economy of the region, less people are likely to be tempted into crime. So one of the really encouraging stats about the West Midlands last year is that more people moved into economically active roles rather than just choosing not to be active at all. And all the data is very clear. If you've got a stake in society, you're less likely to be part of that trouble. So that is the second thing we can do. And then the third thing uh, we have to do 
is we've got to think about how we spend the money within the police force, if I'm honest. And this is definitely a uh, hotly debated issue as to where those scarce resources are spent. And I do think there is a whole question about the distribution of the resources, uh, the visibility of it. And I think we have to do all we can to defend frontline numbers. Right. And do you think it helps that um, one of the West Midlands superintendents is the brother of the Home Secretary? Let's hope it does. So just let's explain to everyone what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, the chief superintendent for Solihull, uh, Baz Javid, is the secretary of Sajid, uh, so the brother of uh, uh, Home Secretary uh, Sajid Javid. So let's hope it does. <laughs> Have you had a particular chat with him? To, oh, yes. To, no to question build about an alliance? It. Uh, yeah, he's a very, very effective uh, leader of his force, so most definitely. He's got your backing? Most definitely. And uh, never mind him, the Chief Constable has my backing. That's really important that we work together on these things. Now, one particular form of crime that people have, have told us about this week is street harassment, particularly for women. Um, Kira Mackay, who uh, we talked to, said, I only feel comfortable on the street if I'm with my boyfriend or my brother. I've stopped clubbing. I get so much unwanted attention. And if you say anything, they just call you a feminazi. What's your answer to someone like Kira who says Look, that's her daily experience of walking down the street? I think I would describe it as utterly depressing. And I find it quite horrid to hear, actually, that's going on in our city, that we're actually, in so many ways, very proud of how such a very varied place all get on pretty well together. So my, if you're asking for my reaction, I find it a horrible story to hear. And it's utterly unacceptable. Is there I mean, anything the police can do well, about it? Well, let's be clear, of course there is. Uh, that is a form of intimidation. So it is an offence, obviously. So, of course, uh, there and the, the West Midlands Police actually have been very good about this in terms of encouraging people to come forward with any version of hate crime. Because wouldn't it be interesting to hear from different ethnic communities, different maybe the LGBT community about this, and they have been spot on. And my constant refrain is if you are subject to anything that is unacceptable you should come forward and report it now that brings me on to community community cohesion now uh, our new birmingham correspondent armadeep made a film today about who was armadeep i wasn't he, sure if i understood. here uh, hello yeah. very nice to see you it, can i just interrupt you to absolutely say thank you for bringing a correspondent to birmingham because we want more of our stories in the national media that's why we're so keen on the Channel 4 Lord pitch here, by the way. Yep. So it's great that you have got a correspondent here. Absolutely. Well, Amadeep, who made this film today about local people's worries about segregation in the city. Amadeep, do you want to just mention what that involved? Oh, you got a mic, yeah. Sorry. Went around certain parts of Birmingham, mainly the sort of northwest corridor, Lazelles, Aston, um, Hansworth. And speaking to people living there, there was... Uh, an issue they brought up again and again was uh, talk of segregation and how streets, you know, there's a street that's full of Polish people, a street that's full of Pakistanis, basically being segregated along racial or yeah. cultural lines. Yeah. I've got a couple of questions, really. The first one's very straightforward. Um, were you aware of this? Been, has anybody brought this to you, your attention before, that there is increasing segregation? Uh, and secondly, Birmingham City Council recently released a report uh, where they said that, according to their figures and projections, Birmingham will become a um, majority non-white British population by 2021. The tone of the report, having seen it, seemed to treat what they call super diversity as a problem. Do you think it's a problem? OK, right, two brilliant and really important questions. Um, let's take the second one first. Is super diversity a problem? No. 
it's a huge advantage. Now, you might, I hope you'll allow me to say this, Paul. The reason I wanted to be mayor of the West Midlands is there's something at stake for Britain here. We are on the front uh, curve of how Britain is changing. Uh, you gave the number for Birmingham. It'll be the same for other cities in time. Uh, and we have got to show the rest of the country how to make this a success. And I honestly think it's a responsibility on all of us to do that. So it's actually exciting. Now, to give you some real evidence of my views around this, um, right back before I was doing this, I've always believed that diverse, let's say, boards in the private sector that, uh, actually are the most innovative places, they have the best ideas. Uh, I think any society where different people come in together would like to have the most breakthrough ideas. And in this particular case, it will give us huge economic success. And just let's give you two categoric points about this. The reason, or one of the reasons, why we were able to persuade the government and the Commonwealth Games Federation that we should host the Commonwealth Games was that this is the place that, to quote the leader of the City Council, represents the future of the Commonwealth. Okay? So that has brought in huge investment. And when we are pitching to Channel 4, we talk about Channel 4 moving their head, second headquarters to a place that represents modern Britain. And we showed them on the day that they were here the wonderful diversity in our creative community. So categorically, it is a huge advantage. And we have got to get the story of that right. Okay? Now, to your first question, was I aware that that said about segregation? Of course I was. You couldn't, not be, <laughs> you couldn't be unaware. Um, I actually think some of the suburbs you've talked about are not the best examples of that challenge. There are some that don't have uh, as much diversity as should. But actually, you mentioned Hansworth. I think it's an, incredibly, uh, uh, it's an incredibly dynamic place with all sorts of communities in it. But my own view is the best places in the West Midlands are where there is genuinely uh, a true diverse community of all types, not where we're moving to monocultural places of any type. So I would hope that that's what we can achieve here, that we genuinely have that uh, true diversity. Mm. Does that answer clearly? It's such an important question. Well, could I follow up on that? I mean, do you think that Birmingham City Council, do you think Birmingham's business leaders accurately represent the communities as they are at present? No, Some people they suggest they don't. Of course they don't. No, of course not. So, um, and we've done something about this. So one of the very first things that we kicked off once I was elected mayor was to launch what we called our Leadership Commission. Now, let me just explain this, because I think this is, again, something where we can lead for Britain. Um, the Leadership Commission's role was to ask the question, why is it that the leadership of the West Midlands, because this isn't just Birmingham, uh, does not represent the community as a whole? Now, uh, that has a number of elements to it. Definitely gender, definitely ethnicity, definitely around the LGBT community, def more than anything else, actually, around the dis disabled community. And actually, increasingly, about why it is that white working class tend to be boys, don't make it through there. So we've done a lot of work in the last year here. A lot of research. Lots have you done any work? Yeah. Have you done any action plans? Uh, of course we have. Is it changing? Of course we have. Of course we have. 
Is it changing? Actually, it is already changing, so things are moving the right way anyway. If you look at, for example, you look at the health service here and the female leadership there, you look at the way in which the Chamber of Commerce is now much more diverse in its leadership. We've got examples where it's going away, but we've done academic work by Birmingham University. We've had lots of focus groups, sound boring, and we, uh, with individual groups, and so we've got lots of evidence We've just done our report. There are 17 recommendations, and now we are acting on all of those. Small thing, but I've made it clear I won't attend all female panels. You and I are probably just about allowed as only two of us. Polly was uh, here. Uh, indeed so. <laughs> uh, and we are talking at the W at the Combined Authority about bringing forward a whole uh, rep groups of diverse leaders to be role models on different panels. So, yeah. We are taking this deadly seriously. And you mentioned the last thing about white working class boys yeah. underperforming. Have you got any ideas that Birmingham could lead the country on that in particular? Uh, I'm not actually as confident of the answers here. And I'll tell you something interesting about this. Of all the focus groups we did, so it was quite easy to get an LGBT focus group, but it was very difficult to get really good information from this group. It's sort of the unspoken piece of all of this. So what we believe we've got to do is think right back into this question of aspiration in schools. So one thing we're putting our structure together around is how do we really make sure that in the schools where there are a lot of white working class lads, we have got the right role models coming in to try to frankly maintain the aspirations that are there at young age but fall away a bit during secondary education. So it's not clear what we're going to do yet, but we're absolutely on it. Right. Can I mention um, something that, uh, else that's cropped up, which is clean air and pollution? Yep, of course. Um, now, today is the 70th anniversary of the NHS. Yes. Everyone's um, celebrating. Um, and the one bit of the health, that, the health service that you do seem to have a sort of locus over is public health um, in the form of transport. Yep. Now... With 900 people in Birmingham dying every year from air pollution on some estimates, yep. is the council right to take action, as it seemed to last night, finally, to approve a consultation on a congestion charge? Um, what's, your, what's your stance on that congestion charge? Uh, my stance, and it's been public, I wrote a piece in the Birmingham Post for it two weeks ago, is that the council are right to go to consultation. And let's be absolutely clear, in my manifesto last year, I said uh, we will need to take action on air quality and I will do whatever I can to uh, do the right thing over this. The numbers for people in the room, about 900 people a year as you say, uh, dying prematurely in Birmingham of air quality related issues. So what does that actually mean practically? Now the council have obviously said there'll be some a stick element here with the charging piece but what we've also got to do is put the carrot there. So that means we've got to give people an alternative to the car and so we've got to improve our public transport. Now, these things take a hell of a long time, but I do think that there is real progress now. The problem we've got is we're probably making up for 30 years of underinvestment, and I've given the statistic many times. Public investment in transport in this region is one-seventh per head of what it's been in London. That is not an acceptable comparison. Where we are now moving is we've got an unprecedented amount of cash for investment in Obviously, HS2, but I'm not including that in our per-head numbers because it's a national scheme, but that gives us the sort of catalyst. But then local rail, we're doing lots of work on reopening lines, improving services, uh, 
the sprint service that is going to become as a dedicated bus service has got to be done for the Commonwealth Games, so that's not long away. And obviously the extensions of the metro, where colleagues will know we're already digging up the city to do exactly that. And the good news is more people are turning to public transport. So we've got now a 5% year-on-year increase in rail usage. And after years and years of decline in bus usage, that has now turned positive in the last 12 months. And things like low fare zones, capping fares, half-price fares for apprentices, all those things have contributed to that. So we, in my role, will step up to the carrot part of this and provide in the public transport. Well, that's the answer maybe to David, who, who we quoted as saying, you can't impose a congestion... He's in favour of congestion charge. He says you can't impose a congestion charge if your transport links are crap. Now, <laughs> yeah. that's very, well, he's right, isn't he? Very, very, uh, very of course Birmingham. he's right. And uh, no-one sitting here saying it's good enough. And I've said, I've said... And we can't put right what the inheritance was. But are we now getting on with this in an unprecedented way? Yes, we are. And do you think there's a role, particularly on buses, because lots of people rely on buses rather yep. than trains? Yeah. Is, is there a case for arguing that Birmingham um, should perhaps copy London in some sense as having more public sector control over bus routes? Right. That, that maybe the real reason for ridership going down across the country outside London is because privatisation of, of buses has just been a failure. Well, actually, this, this is slightly odd, this. Uh, we have not really had the private market for buses and you know what that's been a good thing it's been a blessing in disguise because we do still have one predominant operator national express so we have cheaper bus fares than other places in the country we have better better uh, service provision and i hope people use the buses here i was only on 63 earlier this week would say the quality of the buses is actually very good so this is going to sound extremely odd we don't need the conservative government's legislation around that we actually have got a provider who we have got to work with. And all those things I've just rattled off have been done with National Express. Doesn't mean they're perfect, doesn't mean we don't have some terrible bus stops, but actually it's an advantage we have that we've got one predominant operator. Right. Now that brings me on finally to sort of trust in you and Mr trust in Mayor. Me. Oh gosh. Now we've yes. got we've got a poll here. Oh um, dear dear dear. Poll finding. Now the, the the bad news, I'll give it to you, is that just twenty nine percent of the people we polled trust the mayor. Uh, the good news is that that's nowhere near as bad as government or city council. Um, how do you react to that kind of figure? I mean, obviously, you're new in the job. The, the role is new. Not a lot of people know even necessarily yeah, what the West right. Midlands mayoralty is about. We're establishing it, yeah. Um, but what, what do you think of people's level of trust in you? Um, I, of course, you, you'd have to say you'd prefer the numbers were reversed. I wouldn't be human if I didn't say that. But actually, given that all the stuff we read in the press is that politicians are just dismissed by everyone as utter charlatans and incompetence, and frankly, when you see some things that go on in London, you're not surprised, uh, I find that reasonable, actually, against the, against the national context. Yeah. Now, when you were elected, you promised the rebirth of the urban conservative yes. position. Um, how's that been going uh, last year? I actually think it's going well. So let me explain what I mean by that. If we think of the subjects we've discussed today, housing for young people, homelessness, public transport, clean air, uh, obviously the issues around segregation, to use your correspondence words, not mine, all those issues, I don't think you'd say that was classic Tory policy area. No. It's not, is it, Paul? No. It's not when you talk to Westminster politicians. That's not what they talk about. 
Yeah. So what we are actually doing here, and this is why I'm so excited about it, is we're trying to tackle the issues that really matter to people on the ground here. And that's what I meant by urban conservatism. Let's get the agenda to these things. We haven't, apart from your first questions about um, JLR, we haven't talked that much about jobs. So when we do our own research and people say, what do you want the mayor and command authority yeah. to do? The overriding issue is the economy and jobs. Yeah. And uh, I actually think we're getting on with these subjects. So I don't expect people on the top of the number nine bus to say, oh, there's this thing about urban conservatism. No one's going to say that. Only geeks like you and me say that. <laughs> but do I think people here think, yeah, we're talking about the subjects that matter? I do, actually. And I hope people would say that as a conservative, but a very different conservative to many, we're talking about it in a socially responsible way. Well, that, that brought me to really the, the, the real question, which is not a geeky one, which is more a sort of earthy one. Do you think people voted for you despite the fact that you're a Tory or because you're a Tory? Well, everyone in the room should answer. I should go out and you should ask everyone else the answer to that question. I think the honest answer is this. Uh, there were a number of people across the West Midlands who voted for me because I'd got the party badge. That always happens in any election. But let's be really straightforward. I would have lost had it just been a party popularity contest across the West Midlands. So enough other people who might not have voted Conservative ever probably said, you know, we'll give this chap a chance. Um, and I think that's very healthy because this mayoral job is not supposed to be a classic ding-dong political opposition piece. The only way it will work in the West Midlands is if we bring people together. Because bear in mind, this is different to Manchester, it's different to Liverpool, where they have effectively one party state. This is an area of the country where it's always been very close. We've now got four Labour authorities on the combined authority, three Conservative authorities, that's very different to elsewhere. So you've got to work across boundaries. So I think enough people thought, let's think who might be able to do that and shout up for the region irrespective of party badge, to be honest. And you mentioned jobs, jobs, jobs is, is obviously the big yeah. thing for you. Yeah. That brings me back to the first question about Brexit. There's this yep. Chequers meeting tomorrow. Oh, the yes. Entire cabinet. Currently, pyjamas provided, yes. yes. Now, um, if you were in that meeting, if you were sitting there and someone piped up and said, actually, a no deal, I'm, I'm just sick of Brussels, they're not giving us anything, a no deal is the simplest, cleanest thing we can do. Let's have a no deal Brexit. What would, your, what would you say to them? I would tell them they were utterly wrong and they could potentially do damage to the country. And I would say one other thing, which you haven't asked the question, but I don't mind giving you my view. I would say whatever they agree tomorrow night, can we please all get behind it and can we then implement it? Because frankly, the country is sick and tired of politicians arguing with one another about this. And so do you think... Theresa May should uh, show the smack of firm government to Boris Johnson if he doesn't like it? Yes. It's just time to leave? I think they must all support what is agreed. I mean, this, this, this is a critical point in the UK. Uh, for as long as we've had parliamentary democracy, you've had the idea that the cabinet decide together and they all stick behind it. It's the only way things get moved forward. Uh, and then they are judged by parliament. That's how it works. We all know that. So they must all stick together behind what is What's agreed tomorrow. What's your advice tomorrow. to those who, who don't like it? Get off the bus. Okay, that's a perfect point at which to open this up to, to questions. So let's um, see. Don't be shy is what I always say at this point. Make sure you stick your hand up and we'll try and get as many in as we can. So the lady there, if you want to just say your, your name and 
Okay, my name's Pat and I'm a resident of King's Heath. Um, you mentioned today is the 70th anniversary of the NHS and I'm obviously a child of the Windrush yeah. generation. And I was incredibly proud of The Guardian and Channel 4 for the way that they spoke for my people, for my parents' generation. So the NHS, I'm not going to say wouldn't have survived, but we were significant in helping to run and set up the NHS. Okay. How do you feel about your government and the way that they betrayed our people? Yeah. Okay, so the good thing about this is um, I can refer to a piece I put in the paper about this. Uh, it was in the mail, I think, and I did actually write uh, that the Windrush generation had effectively delivered the NHS. So you are right in what you say about that. And uh, so you know, I've declared my uh, view on uh, that entirely. What do I think about how the government handled it? Exactly the same as Sajid Javid had to say as the incoming Home Secretary. It was wrong, and uh, you can say no more than that word. The good thing is he acted as swiftly as he could when he came in to try to... You can never correct what's gone wrong in the past, but try to give every reassurance uh, looking forward. So I think that's extremely clear. Right, another question? Can I say one other thing yeah, on sure. Windrush? I'm sure you've been, but I don't know if everybody else has been. The exhibition that's on at the Mac around the Windrush generation, actually, is it finished? I might be selling it when it's already closed. It's just a brilliant exhibition at the Mac about that. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a question from a Facebook viewer, Adrian Mark. Will Andy Street speak up for the new Birmingham hospital that's not been completed for Sandwell in Birmingham because of the collapse of, the, of Carillion that the government oversaw? Now, I know that... Um, the Prime Minister herself name-checked you, yep. Andy, in the House of Commons yep. a few weeks ago, yep. saying you were going to help out Solve with this. It. <laughs> as, as, is, what progress has there been? I mean, we're looking at nearly six months now. Two-thirds of this hospital has been built. It's, it's languishing there. Um, what's going to happen? Yep. OK. Does everyone know what we're referring to? It's the new... Uh, it's called Midland Met Hospital. It replaces City Hospital and um, the Sandwell Hospital. Uh, OK. Um, so will I speak up? Yes. I have already spoken up. The reason why the Prime Minister gave that answer is that when she came to Dudley, I had a pinned in the corner saying this has got to be sorted out. The residents of Birmingham expect this to be done. And but nothing's happened since. That isn't true, actually, Paul. Let me just explain. And I know everyone will say, oh, it's interminably slow. Uh, nothing has happened in terms of has a crane moved. No, it hasn't. But actually, our... Civil servants in the Department of Health all over how this is going to be moved forward. Yes, they are. She's given an absolute commitment that this has to be solved. I've also spoken to the head of the Cabinet Office who deals with all of these sort of contracts. Uh, that's David Liddington, Deputy Prime Minister by any other name, and I know they are working through it all. I'm utterly frustrated that it's taking as long as it is, but do I believe that it is going to come to a good conclusion? Yes, I do. And as a businessman, were you shocked by Carillion? Or were you not remotely surprised? Uh, I was shocked. I was shocked at the speed of the uh, falling apart. Because usually in business, you've got your trends that you can see. And I am pretty amazed that they could have given such an upbeat business statement, including bonuses and all those things. And just literally a few weeks later, they were suddenly insolvent. So, yeah, to answer your question, I was very shocked by the yeah. speed of that. Um, another question from the audience. 
this lady there. Hi, I'm a resident from Sparkbrook. Um, I just feel that Sparkbrook is really unrepresented in the council point of view because the structure of Sparkbrook is quite poor. The main road, Stratford Road, is quite poor. Yeah. Um, the it's people feel they're neglected, really. What could you do to improve that area? Good question. Okay. I think there's a there's a uh, there's an underlying question here, which is that, um, um, and I hear this so often actually, that I think most Brummies would say the city centre is improving rapidly, and that's taken a lot of work from a lot of people to bring that about, and some of the more affluent suburbs are also feeling pretty good, but there are some suburbs that are missing out on that. So I think the issue for all of the people who have leadership roles across the West Midlands is how we're going to better balance that. And by the way, that doesn't mean we don't press on with all the things in the city centre because that's where the jobs are. So we've, I think there are perhaps two things worth talking about. First of all, we're working on, we've chosen particular wards where there are very high levels of unemployment to focus on our new money on getting people back into work, employment support. So we're being very precise, probably controversial, saying the money's for there, there, there and there. And then the other thing we're trying to do is make sure that any of the public procurement contracts have actually got advantages for taking uh, local people on, again, from some of the more challenged areas. So we can use the procurement power we have for advantage of those areas. In time, what we've got to do, though, is definitely actually find more indigenous business and be supportive of that in those areas. Very interesting thing about an area like Spark Hill, it's Sparkbrook, sorry, lots of new businesses form, but they tend to fail. So one of the things we've got to really get to is the survival rate of business in those areas. Great. There's another Facebook viewer question here from Jaspreet Singh. How will student voices be heard in the city more, especially international students? They can feel very vulnerable at the moment due to the current hostile environment. Okay. Well, let me again just explain something I've done in the course of this year, which I hope will uh, encourage Jespreet, if, if I caught the name correctly. Um, and I think this is another good example. It's just because you're a conservative, you don't have to toe the party line nationally. So I have, I hope, been vociferous on the issue of uh, protecting uh, international students, allowing them to come post-Brexit, actually taking them out of the immigration numbers, so us being really welcoming of international students. It's not home office policy. I want to see that change because I believe firmly that the more international students who come, the better they will then go back to their home countries and actually sell the whole Birmingham story. So I've tried very hard to do exactly that directly for international students. And there's another question here um, from a Facebook viewer. And this is, again, just fills some of the stuff we talked about on, on crime. Um, what can be done that more about can county lines and gun crime? County lines, the, the, the drug trade that's going on, uh, many people in Birmingham have suffered from that. Um, what do you think you, you actually is being done in terms of progress on that? Yeah, OK, progress is hard. To be fair to the Police and Crime Commissioner, he's made this a real priority. I was there to support him at the launch of his campaign around this, and that, I think, is my appropriate role to actually support the Police and Crime Commissioner on this one absolutely down the line. And finally, uh, well, why are so many people being shoved in B&Bs and forgotten? We've got another Facebook question. Uh, is, isn't that the case, that it, they are forgotten? Uh, I don't... It probably feels that way, 
but I am sure if you are a city council officer looking at the numbers, it genuinely isn't. But I can understand it feels that way. It actually comes back to the whole question of the sufficiency of the housing supply. And I think the question that we didn't really tease out was the nature of the different homes that are to be built. And back to this whole question of social housing uh, being provided. And actually, it was a good piece of news just hidden in the small print just last week, where actually Birmingham, amongst other local authorities, was given the opportunity to raise its housing revenue account. So should be able to provide more social homes. That was a decision. That was a decision. Yeah, exactly. That was a decision that the government took for a number of local authorities and Birmingham was included in that list. The only area, certainly in the Midlands. Um, Another question from the audience. I think this might be the last one. Again, don't be shy. Stick your hand up. There's a lady over there. There's a lady over there, yeah. Hello, I'm, I'm Rachel. I'm a reporter for HuffPost. Um, my question's pretty frivolous. Um, is football coming home? <laughs> is football coming home? That's a tricky Well, one. of course, for a Villa supporter, that, that, um, that, uh, that question has all sorts of double meanings, doesn't it? Because uh, <laughs> we're suffering. Um, is football coming home? If, I think we will win on Saturday. I watched, I've watched all but one of the games so far. I managed to fiddle the diary. Well glued to it, Glued to it on uh, Tuesday. And what I saw, actually, was a team of incredible emotional resilience. And the commentator said, this is more of a battle of mind than battle of sport. And I actually thought that was right. And I think, if we're really honest, that's the battle that the England team have lost and lost and lost in uh, previous World Cups. What I saw on Tuesday was great optimism because I think Gareth Southgate and his young team showed incredible resilience. So I think there is a very good chance of getting a semi-final berth and then all bets are off after that. Thank you. That's a good note on which to end. And Birmingham's showing its own resilience, uh, thankfully, and we're trying to help in that process by trying to boost the city with our own presence well, and we'll be you. here for the for the long term so uh, i'd like to thank andy for his unstinting work today in terms of uh, answering as, as many questions as possible i'd like to thank you all for coming too and all the facebook viewers as well for tuning in so many thanks once again thank you andy street thank you, thank you. hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know Cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain. I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.